Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Estás escuchando Échale Podcast, a podcast where we embrace our Latinidad. The good, the bad, the ugly. You love English? Te encanta el español? Well, we got a whole lot of Spanglish. A storytelling podcast. And like my mom used to say, Échale, mijo, que tú Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Echale Podcast. My name is Jose Quintero, and I'm very excited el día de hoy because one of my favorite topics to talk about is mental health. And for the longest, I've been wanting to get this person on the podcast, not only because I've known him for such a long time, but we've never really had a sit-down conversation about what he does, how he got to where he is, and obviously this journey through therapy that he brings uh, people along. So let me go ahead and just introduce him real quick, porque el día de hoy tenemos, I'm going to say your bio first without saying his name, a psychotherapist, a professor, a presenter. He is committed to guiding his clients and students on their journey to self-discovery, healing, growth. In his practice, he specializes in trauma and mood disorders. He is openly part of the LGBT plus community, which sparks his passion in providing holistic services and education to all genders and identity expressions. Without further ado, let me introduce Renato Perez. Come on, das. Hola, hola. It's so, um, such an honor to be here and I'm so excited to, one, talk about this topic because it's obviously my passion, but I think it's so needed for us to talk about it more and more and more and more until it's like in our brain that it's a no normal thing that we need to have access to. Yeah, no, and I definitely want to st talk about um, identifying mental health because with the whole situation that just happened with uh, Ellen DeGeneres DJ Twitch, it, it, it kind of shocked the entertainment community, but also the viewers because we've se we've seen the Ellen Show for many years. I personally saw Twitch when he was on So You Think You Can Dance. So at the same time, you're just like, you really don't know what's going on in someone's head. So I definitely want to have that conversation later on in the podcast on how to identify uh, mental mental illness, especially within family members, and especially because around the holidays, ahí es cuando deberíamos de maybe notar un poquito más because mm -hmm. that's when they're the closest. Yeah. Yes. I mean, did you... ¿Ibas a decir algo ya que queriéndote interrumpir? No, 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 no. Al contrario. I, I, it's so interesting and I think we'll, we'll get into it in, in a little while but yeah, mental health or mental illness is, is it's, it's a challenge because it's not like we can go test it at the, at the hospital where like, yeah, you tested positive for depression, right? This is how you take care of it. It's almost like invisible to a lot of folks. And so in the cases of like people like Twitch, and this is not the first time that someone that is quote unquote, like a happy person committing suicide or dying of suicide, right? We, it happened a while back with uh, Robin Williams. It happened a while back with a lot of other like celebrities that have had similar backgrounds where they're pretty happy people that are successful, that are doing things 
the right way, right? And so it, there's no real way of like knowing, but we'll, we'll go into it yeah. as, as we go. Yeah, I want to get to know un poquito más de Renato porque the only, I guess, notion that I have of you besides the work that you do, what you post on social media, and if I wanted to disconnect from work-wise, is your life with your partner, Luis Sandoval, which is también un gran amigo. Entonces, de esa mm -hmm. forma te conocí. But I want to get to know, Renato Perez, your journey as a child through therapy. Like, what motivated you to get into therapy? Yeah, so... Uh, a little bit about me. I grew up in, in Mexico. I moved to the U.S. when I was 13. And of course, the immigration part of it, it's, it's traumatic on its own, right? Losing your friends, losing part of your identity and leaving it behind was pretty traumatic for me coming in into a, a, a space where I don't speak the language, etc., etc. And then on top of it, I think, and we're like, yeah, 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 we've heard that story before, right? On top of it, I also was really questioning my own identity as a queer person. And so for me, the challenge of understanding myself or finding myself in this, in this new world with new people, with new friends, um, with a new language and, and, and exploring my sexual identity was really what drove me into like, I can't do this on my own, mm -hmm. right? And, and once I reached that moment of like, I can't do this on my own, it was like, And I took like the weight off of my shoulder and said, like, hey, I, I don't want to do this alone. Can you, somebody else help me process it? And so therapy became this space of healing. Um, it's, it's a space that I, I came across um, and it really just changed my life. It really allowed me to like put the pieces of my puzzle together so that I can access it and really enjoy my life in, in, in a way that I... I've never imagined I could, uh, if that makes any sense. My life, and not that it's all fixed and it's all perfect, right? But it, it used to be like a bunch of like things all over the place and, and, and me trying to make sense of it or, or a yarn that's, that's really stuck together. And so what therapy really does or did for me was allow me to like pull it one piece at a, at a time, take a look at it and say, is this helpful? Is this useful for me? And if it wasn't, to get rid of it. And if it was, to give it a home, a name, process it, and I identify the, the things that are, are well with my life, like identify the strengths that I have. Because as I am an immigrant, a bilingual, queer person of color, and, and the challenges that bring, those things also come with a lot of privileges mm -hmm. and a lot of beautiful things, a lot of access to different things and, and the culture in a way that I haven't even looked at right so therapy not only allowed me to like process my trauma but also really enjoy and 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 then and almost like have pride yeah. on the things that make me different including my queerness right i want to go into that moment of confusion as a child how does one identify uh at such a young age i i'm not sure if you want to talk about what age you started feeling like hey i'm I am attracted to to men. And how does one identify like, hey, I need help and I'm going to seek help because I don't know what's going on with me. Right. And, and, and I want to like, I want to make sure that I, we separate both of those things. I think that's a really beautiful topic. Right. Um, my my sexuality or my gender, sex, my, my sexuality, 
I think I always knew, right? I don't think it 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 came a moment where like, oh my God, now I like boys, right? It didn't switch from like one day to the next. I remember being like five, six, seven, and and of course, sec- we're sexual beings from the moment that we're born, right? And, and we can't deny it. The moment that we're born, we're sexual beings to the moment that we die, right? And so that's that's a reality. That's a truth. We can't mess with it, <laughs> right? And so, but of course our sexuality is very different when you're five. And so I didn't know I like boys. I didn't know I, I, I was gay, right? I just knew I was different. I would look around to like my peers and I'm like, mm, there's something off. And I, I, I've, I've kind of referred to it now as like, I, I got something special. I got access to a lot of different things and it's almost like magical the way that I'm able to view the world that I don't seem that my other peers do see the world in that way. And as you develop, right, you um, you start, at first it was a gift. At, at first I was like, oh my God, I have something special that other folks don't have. But because I grew up in Mexico with, not just Mexico, but like the culture and the of machismo and the culture of Catholics, uh, the Catholicism or the Catholic Church really in, invested into our culture, that really started to feel the shame. And that's when I started to take back and like, oh my God, uh, maybe what I'm doing or what I'm feeling is not good. Where maybe what I'm, maybe who I am is wrong on its own. Maybe I need to fix it. Maybe I need to. And so that's what I want to separate, right? Like my identity, there's nothing wrong. And my identity shouldn't come with trauma. The trauma doesn't come from me being gay. The trauma comes from the world thinking that it's wrong for me to be gay and saying, hide it, shame, go away. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't feel that. So that's the traumatic uh, stuff, right? And so my my identity is perfect. And so I, I want to make sure that we understand and we separate. Like we, we don't need to send a, a kid to therapy because they're gay. We need to send a kid to therapy because they're having a hard time understanding that the world around them that's not is not ready for them or is not going to be as welcoming in every single space. That's powerful. That's thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, and as you got older, did the machismo, the shaming from society kind of because you moved to the United States, a different culture, I would mm. well maybe back then it was still machismo, but it's I would say it's a little less machismo than than Mexico and less direct. Um, yeah. Were there any issues there as you were growing up or did you just start identifying yourself and you know what, like, hey, I'm going to go and do me que me valga? Oh, no, al contrario. I think as, as I grew up, I mean, I, me and my family left Mexico, but my fam- my Mexico didn't leave my family and, I, and especially because I, I grew up in a very um, uh, it, conservative home. My parents are very, very Catholic. And so I, I hid it as much as I could, right? I, I went through the world pretending not to be or not to feel the things that I was feeling. So definitely was a challenge for me. And when I did come out, it wasn't like the most positive experience. I actually had a pretty negative experience uh, sharing it with my folks, um, not with my friends. With my friends, it was a very different story, very positive, very welcoming, very accepting. With my family, however, it was very challenging. 
And so therapy became, that's when really therapy started to be of support to identify that um, I may not be able to change my parents' minds. Mm -hmm. It's a process, right? And just how it took me 23 years, which is when I came out to my parents, for me to process it, understand it. I couldn't really expect my parents to understand it in that second. I had to give it a time, right? So I'm 40 years old, so it's almost 20 years since I came out. My parents are at a different, different level. They don't really understand it uh, completely, but it's completely different from the first moment that I came out. So that's important, right? Because we want to understand that it's a process, even for them. And I have have to be, just as I was gentle and kind to myself and understanding my own process, I get to be gentle and understanding to my parents' process. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. As you started going to therapy, which I'm assuming was at the age of 23, Mm -hmm. obviously therapy wasn't... I mean, it's always been around, and to a certain extent, talking just to somebody else is therapeutic, but we've never seen such a need for uh, mental health awareness and therapists like today. When you started reaching out for therapy, obviously in the Latino community, it's also very stigmatized. Oye, estás loco. ¿Para qué vas a esas cosas? Este, yo, ¿qué chingas voy a ir a hacer allá? Or, ¿qué chingas estás haciendo? You know, like, was there any backlash from the family because you were taking therapy? Or was this already part of your career that they were like, okay, es a lo mejor parte de su escuela? No, para nada. It, 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 you know, even therapy, like, I, I think about it, right? Like, and, and, and even the process of me going to therapy was also very shaming for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't share this with anybody. Like, my parents did, never knew that I went to therapy. I didn't share with my friends. It was just like something that I did almost like hiding from everybody. Yeah. I was healing. I was looking for healing or to heal from my wounds, but I was doing it behind closed doors. Um, and, and it's interesting, right? Because um, I mean, and I, uh, there's no shame in it. My family is now in a different place. And my mom has gone to therapy. She's struggled with depression through her whole, her whole life. And so now therapy is part of her life. Uh, my brother also has embraced like therapy. Uh, and now things are very different, but it wasn't. Um, and so 20 years, almost 20 years ago, when I started to, to look for therapy, it was a very challenging place, right? Like just to go through my parents' insurance because I was under their insurance, wow. trying to like make sure that they didn't find out. Uh, finding a therapist that I really liked and that I clicked. Um, I was, you know, looking for a, a bilingual therapist, which was not what I found, right? I started working with a white therapist at the beginning, not to my liking, but, you know, I did what I, I could at the moment with the resources that I had and also the the, the landscape that I had, right? Like now we, we open up, say uh, any search engine, to find therapists and you'll find queer therapists of color, therapists of color, Latino, brown, Asian therapists. It wasn't like this very a long while back. It was like pretty white. No había mucho color, pero ahora ya... Nada, nada. How does, uh, speaking of shopping for therapy, because I feel like it is like you're looking for the right one, what are some of the things that we need to look out for? Porque I've gone to therapy once, and again, I was also looking for a bilingual and obviamente you look at the roster and there's a Latino name and you 
expect them. And to a certain extent, I know like you're supposed to feel uncomfortable in therapy and that did happen <laughs> when I went, but I don't I don't know if the uncomfortableness and I'm speaking for myself was what I wanted to hear or I'm like, well, maybe I'm just not clicking. Like, I feel like he's not trying understanding me. Like, how, how do I know that he was a problem, but not I? <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and that's really beautiful, right? Because I think it's important for everybody to hear this. Um, the therapists are human, yeah. <laughs> right? And just as we are human, we all have our own biases, our own shit that's in our brain. And, and sometimes doesn't and, and just how they how there is really good therapists. Mm -hmm. There's pretty shitty therapists out there, right? And so uh, así es la vida. And so you, it's hard for for you to think that you're gonna find the right one on the first try. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get lucky and you come to me and you you you'll be fine. <laughs> pero, pero si no, you know it's okay for you to shop around. You know, so I I think what you said is really beautiful because. Yes, therapy is uncomfortable, but it's uncomfortable in a, in a way that it, it, it allows you for expansion. Yeah. It, it almost feels like you're stretching, right? When you're in, when you're in therapy, that's uncomfortableness. Mm. But if the uncomfortable uncomfortableness comes from like, I don't think this person gets me. I, I think I'm being judged. I don't think this person is creating a safe environment for me to share. Then that's not okay. okay. And you can, the, the beautiful thing is that therapy is but it's voluntary so you at any moment you can say you know thank you so much i i really appreciate your time but i don't think it's working for me mm. and you feel free to look out for somebody else that you may have that connection so shop around shop around shop around how does that make a therapist feel though because uh i, I mean i think sometimes as people were people pleasers so having the courage to tell someone gracias pero no creo que me sirvas why you know like <laughs> like i can only imagine one it's so hard as an individual to tell someone hey and so they keep going to the therapist but in actuality like no les está sirviendo but then mm -hmm. if they actually go through with that conversation the therapist is like well what did i do wrong or starts questioning their own practices right and so i i, I think feedback is beautiful right and and and, and it's up to us to take feedback however we want to take feedback, right? And so most therapists offer what is called like a consultation, right? And it's free. So it's maybe like a 15, 20 minute phone conversation or maybe a Zoom conversation that you can have with a therapist. And usually with that, with that free time, you feel pretty comfortable saying like, I like this person. I think we're gonna do really good work together or not, right? And you can say, thank you. Um, and that's it, right? So you don't have to say you're not the right one. You can just say, <laughs> Let me think about it and I'll, and I'll, I'll give you a call back yeah. and you can, you can, or you can be very honest and you can say like, thank you. It, it, I, I think I'm going to look for somebody else. It's not up to you. Right. And I, and I love the fact that you said, you know, some of us are people pleasers, but this is your healing process. Right. Mm -hmm. And so allow, you don't need to babysit the therapist feelings. Right. I mean, don't be an asshole. Don't be mean to me or <laughs> to us. Right. But you don't have to babysit our feelings. We, as therapists, have to do our own work, right? We get to go to therapy ourselves. And we get to say, like, you know what? I met Jose, and Jose was a jerk to me, and he said I was not a good therapist. It made me question myself. Um, and then maybe my therapist can help me process that. We have um, 
I am also a supervisor, right? I, su I clinically supervise other therapists, which wow. means therapists that are in training come to me and say, hey, Renato, um, this is what's happening in therapy. They don't disclose your information, but that they disclose this is how I feel in therapy. Can you help me process that? Right. And so we there's a lot of work that goes behind closed doors for us as therapists. That's awesome. I didn't know that. And I definitely want to get into that conversation later on on how you uh, deal with so much that probably comes to you in your consultorio dia con dia by your students or by patients. At 23, when you started going to therapy, I'm pivoting back to uh, 23. In those moments of therapy, did you find a passion for what the therapist was doing that led you to want to do therapy? No, not really. <laughs> that's, that's kind of, it, I took a funny journey, right? I, I, at that time, I was only going to therapy like wholeheartedly just for my own healing. And I was also going into school. And at that moment, I was actually pre-med. Oh, I, wow. I went to university to become a doctor, right? Um, I but when that. I was there, I was like, yeah, I don't think this is the right path for me. And I started to venture out. I started to take some like social work classes. And that's when it started to like roll for me. Because I started to identify how could I incorporate kind of like this healing journey that I wanted to be of service to, to other folks, but also kind of like the social aspect of it or the social, um, como se dice? Yeah, just the social component of it, right? Like how do I support people more than just like healing the inside, but also like the mental health so that, and, and that's when the journey started to drift for me. What school did you attend to? So I graduated from UC Santa Cruz for my undergrad and USC for my for my master's. Right on. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> I've always wanted to go to USC. I, I mean, I always say like USC was like my go-to school for my master's program. Pero obviamente, pues sí está cariñosita. Sí, sí. Todavía lo estoy pagando. It's been almost 10 years and I'm still paying. Look at that. I mean, I should have probably just pulled the trigger and gone to USC, I ended up still going to a private university, which was Laverne, for my master's mm -hmm. in business. Este, y termine platicando. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, okay, so now, going as the therapist that you are, how do you handle so many stories, so many issues? Because it's not a physical exhaustion that probably goes through you every single day, but more of a mental drain. Yeah. yeah, and you bring that home. How do you detach? Some of my friends are are therapists like yourself, and I'm sure there's training, and you've had years of experience, and as a supervisor uh, now. But like, how do you just detach from someone when you just come home? It definitely takes a lot of training, right? And and I think the the training uh, when you're when you're younger or a baby therapist, I think that's that's part of the. Some of the biggest parts or the biggest components is how can I be completely present when I'm in therapy? And, and, and I do this now, right? When I'm in therapy, I'm yours. I'm there 100% of me, my energy, my, my soul, my, my spirit, todo está contigo, right? Because I really want to be of service. But as soon as you exit that door, I shut that down. Wow. And it takes a lot of training, right? I, I make it my biggest effort to not... Think about you 
in my own home, right? Because I, my life is not with you. My life is living my life with my partner. My life is going out hiking with my dogs. That's my going to the movie theater. That's my life. And I really want to make sure that I enjoy it because I want to teach and I want to support the client with that same issue, right? Like your work is just your work. And if a lot, and, and just based on like a lot of experience, a lot of us really struggle with work, right? And making that work-life balance. And so that's a huge concern. I have a lot of like really silly techniques that I do. So for example, I whenever a client leaves, I I, I do like a, like I physically like cleanse myself, like que salga todo, I don't want to keep anything with me. And not because I don't want any of your energy, because like I said, I think it's important for us to detach, to disconnect. Right. Not that it's it's a perfect thing. Right. Sometimes I I I am in the middle of like watching TV and all of, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, shit, I'm thinking about a client and how to be of service. I make a note of it. I make a mental note and say, like, OK, I'm going to keep that for later. Right now, I'm really focusing on, on watching Netflix and I refocus myself. Right. It's a lot of repivoting myself yeah. and it, it's training that you do. Um, so eso me ayuda mucho. As right. A- as a baby therapist, like you call it, was there ever a client that just stuck on to you that like it, it started affecting you physically and then maybe your partner or your family started noticing, oye, ¿qué tienes? Y tú dices, es que estoy pensando en esta persona que a lo mejor te dijeron algo. Sí, claro. I, I, I think about this a lot. When I was a baby therapist, there was one, one client in particular that it was pretty severe like mental illness they had schizophrenia and so some of their their thoughts right or their delusions were around um como se llama el diablo y el cosas así de susto and so i started to like catch myself that i was like oh my god el, el diablo me va a salir en sí. la noche or like i would catch myself going to get a glass of water at night I'm like oh my god what if they're yeah. here so there's definitely a lot of that so i had to process that a lot and be like okay that needs to stay in the, in, in therapy and yeah. I can't bring that that shit home. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, w- I want to talk. Um, how do you overcome adversity? Because as a therapist, you, like, again, you see these problems, you feel these problems, but at the end of the day, le tienes que echar ganas y salir adelante. Mm-hmm. So how do you overcome adversity with such a heavy, t- with such heavy topics? Mira, it, it's, it's, it's a process, right? I think it's important for us to know that we, we take it one day at a time, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes you don't, you can't. Sometimes it's, it's a lot and you don't have to do more than that, right? Um, I have a little bit of um, a hard time processing the idea of like, siempre echale ganas, like you can always do it. Yeah. Sometimes you can't and that's okay. Right. Sometimes it's okay for you to say, like, I don't know how to handle that. Right. And so, again, I think this is where, like, the asking for help or the asking for support. Sometimes it's okay for you not to be okay. Right. It's okay for you to ask for help. It's okay for you to get a therapy. It's okay for you to look for another therapist to help you with with that. Right. And so you you can't just do it on your own. Um, Overcoming adversity comes in in different colors and different and, and, and different sizes. It doesn't always look the same. It really depends on a day-to-day basis. I take it one day at a time. And I think that's, if I can give anything to, to, to the listeners, right, it's, 
is to take it just one day at a time. You don't have to think about overcoming adversity forever because <laughs> that just the thought of like, oh my God, I'm going to have to do this always or like in a week, it, it overwhelms you and it almost makes your body shut down. But if you say, I only have to overcome adversity right now, today, you say, I got it. I can handle that See? or not. Maybe I need to find support. Maybe I, I get to ask Jose for some help today. And, and hopefully they're available and they can support me. You know, I find it interesting. And I think we're at a point uh, in society where it's becoming more prevalent um, that, you know, men are reaching out to other men for help. And I'm one to, to say that I form part of that group where I'll reach out to my male friends and I say, hey, I just need to talk or I'm not doing okay but we still see a lot of men who are dying by suicide who are lacking that emotional connection with other men we see that uh, statistically studies have shown that men have fewer male friends now before like 20 years ago we probably had five to ten male close friends now we probably have two to three. So that means the connection or the level of male connection that we have is decreasing. Hence why there's also an increase in deaths by suicide in males. As men, how can we probably reach out to other men um, who are probably lack that emotion? You know, one of the things that, I, I try to incorporate into everything that I do is, is increasing our, our emotional intelligence, right? And I think that's where we are, right? Um, I think straight men struggle with that component, right? Like of, of increasing their emotional intelligence because it's attached to femininity in some sort of form of way they think that it makes them less of a man to be emotionally intelligent, right? Um, take courses. There's a lot of really great courses how to increase your emotional intelligence. There's a lot of uh, ways of just connecting with one-on-one, -on -one, right? Find that one friend of like that you feel is great support. Um, there's there's no real answer, right? I, I don't think that there's any like magical solution to overcoming that that phenomenon of like men not attacking, not reaching out. But I think you're right. I think it's it's changing. In, in a positive way, I think men are are releasing some of that perceived notions of um, machismo or toxic masculinity. And, and they're saying like, you know what, that's not really good for me. I, I want to have access to to laughter and I have to I want to have access to joy and I want to have access to hugs and, 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 and friendships that are long lasting because that's life and that's real. Um, and so that only comes with you actually doing the work and wanting to do the work, yeah. right? So courses, yeah, take courses, go to therapy, connect with one, try it one time with one friend that you feel is safe, you know? Um, and then it's it's building a little muscle, right? It's, yeah. it's increasing that muscle of like connectivity with other men. Uh, and hopefully that one guy doesn't reject you and then you can go to the next one. 
Hola, ¿qué tal? Te saluda José Quintero y espero que estés disfrutando de este capítulo de Echale Podcast. Pero vamos a platicar de un tema que te va a encantar, porque si eres padre de familia, si eres estudiante o si eres maestro o maestra, pon mucha atención, porque te quiero contar sobre la beca nacional de hacer de McDonald's. Desde 1985, McDonald's ha otorgado más de 33 millones de dólares en becas y esta vez no va a ser la excepción porque este año McDonald's está dando 500 mil dólares en becas y puedes ganarte una beca de hasta 100 mil dólares pero ahora más que nunca ayudar a estudiantes hispanos a hacer más que las generaciones anteriores a hacer más de lo que creían ser capaz y hacer más de lo que pensaban que era posible por sí mismos por su gente por su cultura y por un mejor futuro. Para más información sobre la beca nacional Hacer de McDonald's, visita mcdonalds.com diagonal hacer. Aprende más porque puedes ganar una de 30 becas. It's so funny that you explain it like that because in college, my best friend, he was so emotionally detached and I've always said it in previous podcasts. I feel like I've always been closer to my femininity side uh, because of the traumas that happened as a, a survivor for, of sexual abuse when I was younger. So there, there was a lot of healing that I had to do there, but I was always connected more to my femininity side because I was always closer to women and afraid of men to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. And so what I did in order to overcome this fear, which is probably not the healthiest way to do it, is I joined a fraternity. But within that mm -hmm. fraternity, like I was able to expose myself to various different types of personalities with men. And I found one that he was emotionally detached, but we got along that I was very persistent, very persistent in saying, like, I care for you, like I'm here for you, which is a so wow. different from what the male stigma was, especially in a university fraternity setting that now he's a therapist himself. Within wow. our friend group, uh, I don't want to say that I helped in that process, but I'm just going to take a little, like, 1% credit. <laughs> <laughs> you should. Yeah. But now within our friends group, and uh, again, a lot of it is his work that he's now done as a therapist. Like, before he hangs up the phone, he's very adamant about saying, I love you, which when I first heard that, that, uh, that it, like, threw me off, you know? Uh, and I'm like, oh, okay. So, but now to... Ex Like you said, we've passed that on to other friends that we're not afraid within ourselves to say, I love you, or if it's over the phone, hey, who are you talking to? Oh, this guy. And it's like, oh, you said I love you? Well, like, yeah, because I actually do mean it. Uh, so, so, yes, it is a process, and I think it takes time, and it takes one man or one male yeah. to do it, and hopefully it becomes like a domino effect. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's already happening, right? I think that person changed your perspective. Like, what? It's okay for me to say I love you to another friend? Yeah. Now you get to do that to somebody else. And hopefully you, by saying that to somebody else, get to change their perspective in their world. Where, where like they're feeling, oh my God, Jose just told me that he loves me. And I love him, but I've never said that to a friend. Mm -hmm. Is it safe? Is it okay? And, and the way that they process it, allows them to feel safer in sharing that with other folks, you know? yeah. or at least with you, because you created that safety space. For and, and I think he created that space because obviously I felt it and he probably, I mean, he feels it as well, but he opened the door where I'm like, oh, it's okay to say this to mm -hmm. you. So then it's easier for us to share it where if somebody else hears it, it might be like, okay, well, maybe it's 
okay to say it to Jose as well and to him and vice versa. And again, like we said, we, we start a trend. I want to now pivot to identifying mental health because we were talking earlier about the situation that happened with Twitch and with mental health being on the rise with so many men, as we were mentioning. Twitch is one of those cases where we see happy people that you just never think that they're going to die by suicide. Um mm -hmm. So, so is there a way during these festivities that we can probably identify? Is there questions that or statements from family members that we should just kind of like parar el oído y decir, oye, okay, well, let me put you out to the side and let me let's see if we can talk. Mm -hmm. I, I really love this question, but in, in order for us to be able to even be percept, percept like per perceptive to like those changes, I think we need to understand a little bit of like, and, and, and now that we're talking about depression, right? There's, there's a couple of different ways of viewing depression, right? Or, or, or sadness, right? So one of them is something happens to me that's, that makes me sad, right? Somebody died in my family. I, I lost the job that I had been working really hard for. I lost a partner, et cetera, et cetera. So that event has caused me to feel sad, right? Um, eventually, that sadness starts to wear off, or maybe it's it's very challenging for me, and so I stay stuck on that sadness, right? So there's an event that happened, it caused me sadness, and it's hard for me to process it, right? And so talk therapy is really supportive, having friends, having a different outlook, going out, doing activities really supports me in that. But what if nothing happened? What if you're like, wait a second, my life is perfect. I have a partner. My life is great. Everything is good. I have a good job. I don't know why I feel empty inside. I don't know why I can't shake off that feeling of hopelessness. And so it's nice. It's good to, for us to understand that not always is an event attached to it. Sometimes it's just a chemical imbalance, right? Yeah. And in those chances and in those instances, therapy can help but it's not going to change your chemistry, right? And so the only thing that really changes your chemistry is through activity selection, right? Which is increasing our mood enhancing activities, which is like, what makes me happy? Well, I don't want to go running, but I know that it used to make me happy. Okay, let me increase that so that I get more serotonin in my body. But sometimes it's not enough. And medication is really supported in those cases. So as we are humanizing the idea of like therapy, I think it's also important for us to say some folks also need the support of medication in order for them to feel well. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And right now that you were talking about like self-fulfillment, if, if you've done it all and I mean, you still feel empty, that's probably like a tough situation, you know, like it, I, I would feel like it would create conflict Like, wait, I've lo he superado todo. Tengo un buen negocio, mm -hmm. tengo un trabajo, tengo fama, because that's what Twitch had. Tengo familia, tengo esposa, mm -hmm. tengo casa. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's just, for me, it's really hard to understand how somebody, for example, again, like Twitch, y no lo estoy juzgando because his no, journey no. is his journey, um, would, would resort or would die by suicide cuando lo tiene todo, pero ahorita que lo dijiste, mm -hmm. like, 
it's chemically and you have to sometimes, you know, see what else you can do to increase the serotonin. Pero también me pongo a pensar, like, él lo tenía todo. He's like, well, then what else? Ya, ya acabo. Yeah. I'm like, ah. No, right. it, it's just such a hard topic to just unwind. Yeah. And, and, and so as we are now, like, being in spaces with our family, I think it's, it's very challenging because not everybody's going to be changing, right? A lot of people are pretty good actors and they're going to fake it. And, and they're going to fake that they're happy until the moment they die of suicide because they don't want to involve anybody, right? And so I think it's as much as we want to help, we also want to understand that it's, it's we respect like a, autonomy, right? Self-autonomy is really important, right? Um, as we are looking into like those spaces and being with our family, the things to look out for for those who are more... Uh, that they are changing. So I think sudden changes of behavior or mood are really important. For example, Jose has always been really um, happy. They're always here. They're always laughing. And all of a sudden, they're like a little more quiet. They're more in the corner. Right? They don't want to talk. They're isolating. They don't want to come out of their room. So that's a big change, right? Um, or the opposite, somebody that's usually really quiet and now it's all of a sudden really like active and, and talking a lot and, and, and almost like, hyperactive and you're like okay what's happening right um obviously the the big ones are like the sad mood right if you see somebody that's always sad always crying um they start giving out their stuff those are really big big expressions that they, there's something going on mm. and those are really important moments for you to reach out and say hey i noticed there's a change in you what's happening do you want to share and if they do start sharing with you that they feel sad it's okay, and, and I repeat this, it's okay for you to say, have you been thinking about death and dying? Have you, pro have you have the idea of like, that it would be better off if you're, if you're dead? Mm -hmm. Have you thought, have you considered suicide? It's important for us to ask because it's almost like opening the door and saying, if you have been thinking about it, it's okay, I got you, let's find support. It's not doing the, because a lot of us think that if I mention suicide, I'm giving them the idea. Gotcha. That's not true at all. Gotcha. Okay. That, that's interesting. I did, I have heard that asking, like, have you thought of suicide? Um, but I like that method as well. Like, have you ever thought of death just in general? And right now that you mentioned it, uh, I, I'm just going to go into like a little therapy session right here. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes <laughs> I, like sometimes I think of death, but not in the, I como que like it's inevitable. Of course I love yeah. life. And I have always told my friends like, Hey, if you ever get a note or something that this guy died by suicide, that's not true. But mm -hmm. because I genuinely do love life, but I just have a fear of death. Like, because mm -hmm. now as I grow older, you just realize, hey, this can happen at any moment. And the more news that you hear, like the unfortunate news, car accidents. I mean, I think those are the, the, the probably the biggest ones and the biggest fear for me just because I drive a lot. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, my God, Dios mío, agarra el volante el día de hoy porque hoy no puedo. Because, you know, you're trying to prevent that. And I don't know if that's, in a sense, some type of, I don't know, fear, trauma, or it's like, uh, I don't know. Ahora sí, ¿qué me dices tú, Renato? You know, I, I, I don't know, but I, I think, 
if I can offer anything is like to process the idea of death and dying as a gift, right? Um, I think one of the biggest things that my culture has offered me is, is enamorarme de la muerte, no? Yeah. It's to think about death every single day, Yeah. you know? And I think about it every single day, not in a morbid kind of way, not to like haunt me or like torture me, but more of like, I could die tomorrow. Let me fall in love with the things that I do today. Let me pick up the phone and tell my friends that I love them. Let me do wear that suit that I, I've been wanting to wear for a long time. Let me make sure that I'm doing the things that I want to do, right? And so twisting it around and, and instead of like fearing it, almost saying, okay, so right now I'm 40. If, si, si va todo como la ido a mi familia, I'm going to die when I'm 80. So that means I have 40 years left. Oh, shit. If I'm only seeing my parents once a year, wow. that's only 40 times that I'm going to see my parents. I got to change that shit. I got to move that thing around. So thinking about death and dying really has helped me to like have a more fulfilling life to the yeah. things that I really love and enjoy versus like scared or, 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 or hide from them. Yeah. Right. Because that's also an option. <laughs> yeah. No. And I think you're completely right. Last year I took it upon myself whether it was a lack of sleep almost, but I went to visit my parents at least three, four times within four months um, mm -hmm. in Mexico, porque pues ellos ya viven allá, vienen acá y todo ese rollo. But I didn't see the notion of like, hey, like ya casi no los tengo aquí diario. I need to take it upon myself to go see them and mm -hmm. kind of, I don't know, enjoy them while, while I can. Um, I did want to ask you about um, how do I help someone who doesn't want to be helped? Because sometimes our parents need therapy. Uh, sometimes yeah. our siblings need therapy. And obviously we grew up in a stigmatized culture where therapy is para locos. Again, now it's changing. Pero para las generaciones that you're like, you need to go see someone. But you can, you can take, you know, the horse to the river, but you can't force him to drink. <laughs> Totalmente. And it's hard, right? I think it's, it, 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 and this is a challenge, right? We can't help anybody that doesn't want to be helped. And with that, I'll say therapy is a great tool and a great resource, but it's not the only one, right? We luckily, we live in this uh, society that we have multiple ways of, 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 of accessing sort of like mental health. Um, the best thing that I always tell my, my, my folks is talk about it, talk about therapy, talk about if you're going to therapy yourself, normalize it, humanize it, talk, talk to them. Hey, I went to therapy. This is what I learned in therapy. Hey, I'm learning how to utilize, uh, assertive communication in therapy. This is how I communicate. Let's practice it at home, right? Me talking about it. I'm doing two things. I'm teaching them the skills that I'm learning in therapy, which is going to make my journey a lot easier. And two, I'm normalizing the idea of therapy. Oh my God, Jose is going to therapy and they're like doing really well. They're like, I can see their outlook in life is changing. I can see positive changes. Maybe I should go to therapy, right? And so those are one some of the ways that we can start kind of like, como se dice, warming people up for therapy if, they're, if they ever do want to go into therapy, right? Um, if you do learn anything, share it with them. I think that's, for someone that's never going to go to therapy, so for example, my parents are never going to go to therapy, well, I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to tell them what I learned in therapy or 
something that's accessible for them, right? I'm going to give them a book. Maybe my mom loves to read. Hey, I read this book that it's really supportive. Yo le regalo a todo el mundo the four agreements. Here you go, read it. Here you go, read it, right? They may not go to therapy, but I feel like that's as close as they might get here. This is a great way of like starting to like get rid of a lot of like mental shit that may be blocking you from uh, uh, loving you and loving others, you know? Someone needs to make a movie out of the four agreements or something. Así es más fácil ponerle play because obviously now with audiobooks, that's another alternative that you could do with the four agreements. But our attention spans aren't <laughs> aren't mm -hmm. like, o, o sea, yo soy del que if I see a squirrel, I'm going to go squirrel. And right. <laughs> my, my, the audiobook, okay, let me rewind. Pero para un padre sería un poquito más difícil. Ahora, ya se acerca la Navidad a la vuelta de la esquina. Obviously, by the time this episode drops, it's going to be December 26th. So next uh, Tuesday, we're recording this on a Friday. So Christmas is coming. But we definitely have New Year's. With all this shopping that we have, we have joy, we have family, we have gatherings. And then the New Year rolls around. And there's something about the New Year that brings in resolutions. But it also brings a sense of like, ugh, like, Okay, a comenzar otro año y, y a esperarnos a las festividades otra vez, que a lo mejor the, the serotonin kicks in uh, starting June when it comes to summer, because now you then, uh, what, what rolls around in September, el 16 de septiembre, el Independence, Halloween, Thanksgiving, you have all these six months of doing family activities, whereas in the first half of the year, you have Easter as a family reunion. So there is some sort of, I would say, uh, I don't I don't want to call it depression, but kind of like, te da un bajón, te da un bajón. Y si se conoce, like we know that Blue Monday is a thing, supposedly. I, I don't really know the statistics, but it's supposed to be the third Monday of January where it's supposedly the saddest day of the year. Because you look at your post-Christmas credit card bills and realizing we might already be breaking our New Year's resolutions. So how do we overcome that first half of the year? Porque sí, siento que a veces en enero te da el bajón como que I don't get a personal holiday, not until May. So, <laughs> so like, necesito más vacaciones que obviamente, like, I could take them if I needed to. Pero... Siento que at the start of the year, ah, January 2nd, it's like, all right, here we go. Yeah. There's a lot of th good things that you said, and I wanted to touch on, on all of them, right? I think, um, first of all, uh, I, I want to normalize the idea of sadness, right? I think that's something that we are afraid of. Um, that we're like, oh my God, I don't want to be sad. Guess what? It's normal. It's natural. We need it, actually. And it's part of the cycle, right? And as we go up into that high of like the, the holidays, it's okay for us to feel down, right? It's okay for us to feel sad. There's nothing wrong. Let's not hyper, hyper um, pathologize the idea of sadness, right? Just because you're sad doesn't mean you're ill. It's okay. We all get sad. The important part is, are we getting stuck in sadness? That's where we need to be careful, right? That's where we need to be cautious. But feeling sadness is not a problem. So I, I, if, if, if we go through the holidays and it's pretty high and then we go into like a blue Monday and then I'm able to like, okay, it allowed me to like wind down, to be quiet, to isolate for a little, collect my energy, 
then it's useful, right? We find the idea of like, maybe this blue Monday is not a bad thing. Maybe it's important for me to process it and be down and feel sad because it also allows me to see the joy in other things, right? It also allows me to create more plans. It allows me to find joy. It allows me to look forward to other things. Am I, am I getting stuck though? That's the important part, right? Yeah, and so many people during the year feel stuck because they feel like they're going on this cycle of Monday through Sunday. Like literally we've seen the graphics before where it's Monday, it's slow. We're going up the hill as Wednesday goes. Oh, Hey, Friday, serotonin kicks in Sunday. And then we go back to Monday. So some, a lot of people feel that cycle and it's very real. And obviously at, at which is, I want to say that it's a bad thing and we probably need to stop, but we also capitalize it, whether it be in radio or in TV, mm -hmm. like, hey, it's oh, honest, no. you know, like, ah, ya estamos arrastrando la cobija, et cetera, et cetera. Pero pues vamos a entrar con toda la buena energía y la buena vibra. Eh. Um, but how does one unstuck themselves? Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it starts with language, right? Um, language is very powerful. Language is, is it's immense, right? Um, and so when we talk about the things that we identify as truths, right? For example, most of us have the idea that Mondays suck, right? We go into it, it could be the best day of my life and I'm already walking into it. And I'm like, oh, it's Monday, right? And the, I, that neural connection is already made. You can't change my fucking mind, right? Like <laughs> Mondays suck. And so the moment that I start switching it and say, hey, I'm going to be open. Mondays are great. Mondays, I love Mondays because it allows me to fresh new start. It allows me to see the world in a different perspective. You know, it, I start to make that neural connection and hopefully in the long run, because it's been for myself 40 years in the making of saying Monday suck, that me switching it a couple of days, is not going to do the trick. Yeah. But me repeating it every single week for maybe another year may do the trick. So neural connections do change, right? And then the other thing is finding things in your daily life that bring you joy. Put them on your schedule. I think we have to. We have to. If you're and and, and I say this with with under with the understanding that I have a very, very privileged life, right? I am I do have access to joy every single day. And and so my what I want everybody to take from here is to be able to look at themselves and say, do I have access to joy? And if not, how can I create access to joy every single day so that I can feel that Mondays don't suck, yeah. that I do have something positive every single day of my life. So we've been talking for about 52 minutes and this podcast is called Echale Podcast. And a lot of people probably think like, oh, yes, el echale ganismo. And sometimes, sí, le tenemos que echar ganas a la vida. But more than anything, echar algo, to put something in this world. That's why I started the podcast, because I want to leave people with something positive. So I want to ask you, ¿qué legado quieres dejar? ¿Qué tú le quieres echar a esta vida? Ay, ay, ay. That's, that's very interesting. And I, I really appreciate that question. Um, yo quiero dejar el legado de, you know, of living my life. I think um, one of the things that you mentioned, it's, it, it took a long for me to embrace all of the different things that I am 
and and that really allowed me to to find joy in the life that I have today. It didn't come for free. It didn't come easy, right? But it's a process. So if anything, I want to leave the world with understanding that through processing, through the art of therapy, through the art of understanding your emotions and growth, your emotional intelligence, you can have access to joy. And it's real and it's accessible. And yeah, shit happens every single day. But you know what else happens? Joy and happiness and beautiful things happen. You're just sometimes close to one or the other. Sometimes we're close to the negative shit. Sometimes we're close to the positive things. And both of those things suck. We get to be right in the middle and have access to both. Have access to joy, but also have access to shit. And say, like, how can I grow from this? Yeah, that's beautiful. Renato, well, thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you on social media? Y tu consultorio, o si quieren ser tu alumno. Lo más fácil, the easiest way to find me is through my website. is renatoperez.com, renatoperez.com. I'm on social media as Renato Perez LCSW, um, and you can find me there. And I'm pretty accessible. You can reach out to me, and I'll try to be of service and support as much as I can. Well, thank you so much for your time, Renato. Gracias por escuchar Echale Podcast. If you made it this far, I ask of you one thing. If this podcast made you think, reflect, or enter an existential crisis, then share it with me on social media. Nothing would make me happier than knowing that these stories had a real impact. Nos vemos el próximo martes with more stories and más chisme. This was Echale Podcast. Echale Podcast. Echale Podcast.